Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I'm here today with co-host and faculty member Caleb from the Rollies podcast. Caleb, say hello everyone, let them hear your voice. Hello everyone, not live from London. <laughs> Merry season and wishes. Yes, yes absolutely. Uh, currently it's 10 days from the holiday uh, for, for my time. Uh, or when this is being recorded, I don't know this will actually come out till after Christmas, probably. But uh, but we'll we'll see how things lay out. Uh, so, Caleb, I l- always love it when you have a chance to join us. I know because of the time differences, you being in the UK, uh, it's not always feasible. But I do appreciate your insights that you bring, and I'm excited to have you at the table today. This is going to be faculty meeting 137, and I don't have a cool fancy name yet, but I'm hoping we will by the end of the show. 137. Wow. Yeah, and that's just faculty meetings. It's it's we have so many episodes. It's dumb at this point. But uh, but I have I hope an interesting topic for today. We're going to talk about adding into D and D or D and D esque games a PBTA style of team or synergy bonus. I um I I, I played Mask a couple times. I recently did a trial of a new PBTA game that's going to be coming out next year, and both of them have a team bonus. That before you go into combat, you do some stuff, and then it affects how you do in combat or gives you some resources. And I just started thinking that's kind of a cool thing, because I hear a lot in D&D circles, like, how do I get my players to cooperate? How do I build connections? And I thought, well, that that could be one way. Uh, but we're going to get to that later. Before we get there, what you been up to, buddy? What's going on in Caleb's life? What are you excited about right now? Uh, well, we got some announcements this week. Um... Woohoo! Good announcements. I'm going to not mention the others. Uh, well, sort of a good news, bad news situation, really. So the good news is that Critical Role is coming back to London for, for MCM Comic Con. So it's quite exciting. We recorded a series about their first vi- very first visit in Europe here on the Rollis podcast. The bad news is that they're actually coming on MC- at MCM Comic Con at the same date as UK Games Expo. So it's been creating a, a lot of uh, challenging decision-making for tabletop role-playing fans uh, over here. And uh, yeah, that's it. Beside that, I've been watching uh, stuff with my son on Netflix. I really recommend to check out Hilda, if you haven't yet. I have not. Oh, it's a very lovely little show. And for the, what do you call that, uh, easter egg uh, trivia... Uh, the main character is voiced by um, I don't for, I don't remember her name, but the the young actress who played that very badass Lady Mormont in uh, Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, I have no doubt her name is either, but I loved her on Game of Thrones. So I really recommend it. It's got kind of a Scandinavian feel, so it's contemporary, but it's a little girl. She starts living in the forest and she moves to the city, and there are there are trolls, there are elves. It's it's really whimsical and and cute and really nice to have this higger feeling uh, in your home uh, watching that with the family. Yeah, that sounds very very cool. All right, anything else? Uh, at the moment, hmm, not really. Uh, what have I been? What else would I have been? Oh, I'm very happy because I'm finally gonna have an opportunity to watch the second and third season of Steven Universe in good conditions because they are now available. On Netflix UK, so yeah, I'm. It's a lot of Netflix uh, and chill at home at the moment. <laughs> so I've actually never watched Steven Universe. Uh, I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it, 
but I never knew where it was on, and I think it was a channel that I didn't have previously. So, do you know is it is it available in the U- in the U.S. anywhere? I'm sure I could Google that, but I'm just wondering if you know. Yeah, it it might be on Netflix, but again, even here it's been difficult because at first I had it available through some <clears throat> unspeakable <laughs> means. Uh, then the first season was available for free on uh, Amazon, but then you had to pay for individual seasons. Uh, it was a bit confusing. And then only the first season, which seemed to be the first two seasons, it's a bit, the, the number of episodes <laughs> is a bit confusing, was available on Netflix, but not the rest of the show. That's, that's kind of the point of Netflix. A lot of children show you only have the first season. Oh yeah, if you have a little child, I also recommend on Netflix a BBC show called Dougie. So we're talking for very little children. But my son's been watching it again and again and again, all over again. And I must say, despite seeing it probably literally 15 times the first season, it's still bearable for the parents. It's very smart, very cute. It's not yelling, screaming. It's still very pleasant. Dougie, it's, it's very nice. Yeah, mine are currently eight and nine. So uh, I think I'm beyond that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I have the same thing. Our kids watch the same things over and over. It's just it's part of being a kid. I mean, I do the same thing in a lot of ways. Well, you should check Steven Universe. I think uh, your kids would probably love it. I, and I'm sure I would love it. Like, I've, I've heard so many wonderful things. I just, it's one of those things that's just never, never happened yet, but hopefully it will at some point. I know I've mentioned this in the last several episodes, but Watchmen, I'm absolutely in love with that show. The season finale is tonight. Oh. So, so by the time this comes out, uh, it will be probably a week or two old. But I please encourage anyone who has not yet taken a, a deep dive into this pool do so. It's it's my favorite show on TV this year. It's amazing. I love The Mandalorian, but Watchmen is head and shoulders above anything else I've watched this year. No Mandalorian for Britons like me. Oh, uh, well, you get it later, March. right? Hopefully, hopefully. I, I need to avoid some of my favorite geeky podcasts because of The Mandalorian because I don't. I want to avoid a bit spoiler spoilers as much as I can. But uh, yeah, again, and Watchmen is the same. I don't know where it's available here. It's becoming very difficult to follow shows because they're on different streaming platforms. Or sometimes like they're on Amazon, but you need a, another sub-subscription to get access yeah. to it. I wanted to try Castle Rock because as a teenager, I was a fan of Stephen King. And, and I found out that, yeah, I had to have not only the Prime subscription, but another subscription on top of that. And then I checked for another show, and it was yet another subscription within Amazon Prime. It's it's a bit frustrating. In the U.S., um, Castle Rock is on Hulu. I don't know if you have access to Hulu, so I would just check maybe that directly. It's probably one of those things where Amazon is giving you access to Hulu through it. Yeah. So I would just check Hulu, and you might be able to do like a free trial and then binge it. I thought the first season was very good. It, it's It's up and down, but the parts that were up were really, really good. And the second season, I watched the first couple episodes and it was okay. But then I just got into other things. I eventually will circle back to it. But I definitely think it's worth watching. I don't know if it's worth getting a subscription for just that show. But I watch Hulu all the time now. Like, I I honestly watch Hulu more than Netflix right now. I think what's going to happen is, and that's what I was prepared to do with Disney Plus for Christmas when I did not real before I realized that it would not be available in time. I think I'm going to subscribe to a streaming service for three months, binge whatever, <laughs> and then move away from it and move to another service, which is sort of what I've been doing with Game of Thrones here in the UK, because you had to take something called No TV. Uh, 
So I took it and then I moved out from there and then I took Crunchyroll. And so I already stopped my Crunchyroll subscription because at the moment I was not watching it. But controversial question. So I'm a fan of the graphic novel Watchmen, mm -hmm. but I was not much of a fan of the movie. So do, do you think it's still for me or is it is it for fan of both can you appreciate one without the other so in in my opinion if you have read the graphic novel you will absolutely love the show okay i read the graphic novel but i didn't read it till very late and i, I covered this on the last episode so i'm not going with the whole thing <laughs> but i i like the graphic novel but i don't have a reverence for it like a lot of people i actually like the movie maybe because i don't revere the graphic novel it, i think it's it's not a it's not like the best thing in the world, but I think it's probably Zack Snyder's best movie. I actually enjoy it. Uh, the biggest difference between the movie and the graphic novel is the ending. The show is a continuation of the graphic novel. So the way that that ends with the big thing in New York and the thing in thing, that's what this is continuing from. But the thing is, it, it's it, uh, the very short pitch is imagine everything that happened in the graphic novel happened. It's, it's canon. It is real. And now we're 30 years in the future how has the world changed because of that? And we pick up a brand new story, brand new characters, but there are some direct ties to previous things. And again, if you're a big fan of the graphic novel, there's a few things in particular that you're going to be like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. That's so good. I, I just absolutely am enthralled with that show. I love it. There's so much to show, to watch it. It's crazy at the moment. It, it absolutely is. I mean, again, you, at this point, there's so many things. That I, I say it's the best show on TV that I'm watching. Because I'm not watching everything. There's so many things I'm not watching. There, there might be shows that are 10 times better, but I have no idea they exist. Or I know they exist and I've never watched them. So it's just the way it's going to be. Uh, but the other big thing that I have been doing recently is Marvel Legendary. I realized that there was actually two expansions that I didn't have. Shocker. Oh, yeah. I, I watch your video on uh, on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so I'm collecting the ones I'd missed. Uh, I'm re-sleeving all of my cards clear now. So that's... I'm so dumb. So I've been, <laughs> I've been buying so many clear sleeves, it's not even funny. Uh, but I've been doing, I've been playing a lot of Marvel Legendary Solo, and there's a solo mode that comes in the game. There's an advanced solo mode that I came out pretty quickly, and I don't find either one of them to be that fun. Like, I just, I think, um, well, one, you lose a lot. And I'm not upset because I lose. That's part of the game. But I think the way that you lose in solo mode is usually because you just run out of cards. It's, it's very rarely the scheme wins. It's just that because when you play solo, depending on how many players you have, is how many cards you put into the villain deck and how many you can put into the hero deck. And there's not that many in the villain deck. You have like, you know, anywhere between five and ten scheme cards. One or five Master Strike, depending on if you're playing solo or, or regular. One villain group, which is eight cards, three henchman cards, a couple of bystanders. So there's only like 20 cards in the deck. And a lot of times the scheme will tell you, like when you play the scheme, play another card. Or when this happens, play another card. So you're burning through the villain deck. And I, just, I keep losing because I run out of cards well before I have a chance to ever get a deck anywhere near efficient enough to win. And, and it's, it's getting to the point where it's frustrating, not fun. So what I started doing is I would play it two person and just play two hands. So that way I would have more cards in the hero deck, more cards in the villain deck, and it kind of slowed the game down and gave me time to do okay. But I'm a moron and I keep messing up and I keep mixing my cards together. I'll, like, I'll discard, you know, player A cards into player B's discard pile. I'll look over and go, why are there only six cards in this deck and there's 37 in this one? I've obviously effed up. So it's frustrating. So what I have done, I've created my own 
hybrid version where I play it as if it's two player, but I only play one hand, but I put both decks of starting cards together. So rather than having 12 starting crappy hands, I have 24 starting crappy hands. And I've modulated the number of heroes a little bit. I'm still tweaking it, but so far it seems to be working because having so many starter cards slows me down. Basically, I have four turns before I get even a chance of getting a good card in my hand because I'm going through four turns of, of slow, bad cards. Uh, so it just basically slows me down. So even though I'm playing one person, I don't just get such good cards so quickly I can beat it. But so far, I have won every time I've done this. And I'm afraid that maybe I need to do a couple other tweaks to make it harder because I want to win, but I also want it to be fun. I don't want to just be like, well, I'll win every time. Uh, but so far, seems to be working. I got a few more. I need to do it. Well, a few more. I probably need to do it like a hundred more times uh, to see if it actually balances out. But so far, I'm enjoying that a lot more than solo mode or two-player version when I keep screwing up. So that's what I've been up to. You think you might type it up and uh, post it in an article or something like that for, for the fans to comment upon? And... Oh, I'm terrified. I, I'm, and the thing is, <laughs> I, I haven't Googled. I'm sure someone else has already done this. I'm sure there's other alt modes out there. i just too dumb. and I, I kind of prideful. I want to do it myself rather than just reading someone else. But once I get it settled, I might go look to see if someone else has done similar. And I'm sure at some point I'll, I may talk about it in a little bit more depth, whether it be a YouTube video that I do where I show it or a podcast episode, that kind of thing. I don't know. But one way or the other eventually will get out if I decide it's worthy. And it's not just, oh, no, it's, just, it's so much easier. I win every time now. There's some amazing... I guess the, you call them hacks of games like that. I have a, a, a little collection of X-Wing miniatures, but I never played it much. And because of space, being not being able to, to let my miniatures in place, uh, my apartment is small, so I need to... So at some point I stopped because putting them back in place and putting them out of the, the suitcase where I store them was taking more time than, than actually playing. But the moment when I almost played it more was when I found this cooperative campaign called Heroes of Aturi Cluster. And uh, we played it with a friend and we had a lot of fun with that because even though we are both complete rubbish at playing the game, it was fun because we were playing against... Um, it's, it's, there's a neat sort of analog artificial intelligence system in it when you roll dice and the, the moves of your opponent of the yeah the, the enemies the empires tie fighters and so on ships somewhat predator mind so they don't do complete stupid things it's it's very neat and impressive so i really recommend to check that out i mean co-op games are, are definitely something uh, i find cool yeah co-op's generally my one of my favorite types of, types of games but anyways let's get into the show itself so obviously we want to take a step back and talk about why we're here. Uh, the goal of these conversations that we have, myself and my co-host, is that somewhere in this conversation, we hope there's a nugget of wisdom that can be pulled out by any listener that might be able to take that particular nugget to their home game and use and maybe make their game more fun. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, though there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your friends around the table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, uh, the biggest portion of the show today, is, as I set up, was going to be trying to bring in or, or talking about the idea, the concept, the goodness, badness of trying to bring in a team synergy sort of bonus into a D&D &D style game. Now, Caleb, are you 
pretty familiar with PBTA style games? Uh, I've run a bit of Dungeon World. To be honest, I'm still. I keep saying on my own show that I'm on the fence regarding PBTA. I'm not sure. First, I don't feel like I have a huge system mastery of it. And second, I'm not quite certain to what extent I do enjoy this type of game because I think that there's a lot of argument whether or not they are simpler. I mean, the argument for them is often, oh, they're way simpler than all the math you have to have in Dungeons and & Dragons and, or Traveler or Shadowrun. Uh, I disagree a bit with that. I think it changes sort of the the goals and the... Um, the purpose of the role-playing game. I think it's very interesting, but I'm still on the fence regarding whether or not I enjoy it. If it's my thing, because it's making the thing so different that you actually, yeah, you're supposed to take your fun in a different place, which is more storytelling and less being in the shoes of someone for a while. It's less first person. But uh, So I run a bit of Dungeon World, and I played a bit, and I run a bit of... Mask a new generation, which so far is my favorite PBTA game. Uh, yeah, very similar. I've played a handful of PBTA style games. I'm, I'm by no means an expert. Uh, Mask is the one that I've played that I probably enjoyed the most, but I do have a thing for superheroes, obviously, that, that helped. But it's so good. I mean, it's a tough nut to crack superheroes, and Mask managed to do it. I really hope Phil Vecchion on Misdirected Mark mentioned that he might consider trying do, doing a middle-aged men and women hack of Mask a New Generation after seeing Endgame and Infinity War. I would be very curious to see that, like, you know, the... Uh, or what is it called in Mask when you, you, got, you, influence, you have influence over people and you don't take damage, but you are, you, you are made angry, you Take sad, a condition. Scared. Yeah, I take a condition. I, I think that the idea of having a middle-aged version... Would be awesome, but in the meantime, just doing teenagers like in Young Justice and so on. It, it's it's great. So so my uh, my name fell. If you're listening, I know you're not. It would be Mask the Old Guard if you're going to do a, an <laughs> older version. Uh, so I played Mask and I and I got to play recently in Descent into Midnight, which is a new PBTA style game that's being developed by friends of our show, uh, Rich Taylor and Richard. And I got to play in a trial, which will be out on our feed. When the Kickstarter happens early next year, I don't have an exact date yet, but it's probably first quarter of 2020, there will be a Kickstarter for Descent into Midnight. And both Descent into Midnight and Masks has a, I don't know, a process, a mechanic that right before your characters go into a conflict or a combat, you actually stop the game for a second and you go around the table and you, a- and you answer some questions about your characters and the current situation. And in both cases, it revolves around is the team working in unison? Are they all focused on the same goals? Do they trust one another? Is there any bad blood or anything that would cause them to not fully help each other to the best of their abilities? And depending on the answers, yes or no, you you do a roll at the end. I know in Descendant of Midnight, you were all masking that, just get the static bonus. I don't recall. Maybe you can fill that in in a minute. But you basically get currency that you can then spend to affect the combat. So basically you can get like bonuses or re-rolls or plus one forwards if everyone's on the same team and if everyone is working in unison. And very recently on Facebook and in Twitter, I see this regularly where people say, I'm trying to get my characters to bond. How can I do that? Now, currently I have a system where I actually, I use bonds more like Dungeon World bonds where we, we don't really bond in the game to other things in the game, like a bond in D&D 5e terms would be 
like an organization. Like, you know, you, you have a bond to the Church of the Silver Flame. I create bonds to each other. Like, we decide my character knows your character. Here's why. Here's why we like each other. But this is an idea. Like, like could we do a situation? Could we, could we include some mecha- mechanism where right before we go into a combat, we stop the game for a quick second and say, okay, Calum, you're a barbarian Thugar. How are you feeling about everybody else at the table? And do a quick little thing where we decide, okay, because everyone's working together, everyone gets plus two to every role of this combat. Or everyone gets one team inspiration that they can use to give themselves advantage or, or get rid of disadvantage in throughout the combat. So I guess, A, do you think that makes any sense at all? And B, any initial thoughts on how you might implement that into a D&D style game? Hmm. There's, there's actually quite a few things to unpack, I think, here, uh, in terms of objective and differences, which are sort in at the core of the two different systems uh, a starting point. I think uh, the, f- the first thing is, uh, I was when you mentioned the question uh, beforehand to me, I was trying, think, tra- trying to remember moments in Dungeons & Dragons when I had this feeling of cooperation really working. But it was less in, in a form of intent, like you're describing. It was more through uh, system mastery. We were playing fourth edition, and after a while, we did manage to reach a level when we knew exactly who was able of doing what, and we we had those moments where we man when we managed to to really create openings for one another through this knowledge. And this is very, very end of the of one spectrum, I think, because it really was about on one hand about system mastery, and second being very quite tight with the application of the rules in terms. It was very tactical, and that's an aspect I enjoyed with fourth edition, which might not be so appropriate with fifth edition because the the lines are a bit blurrier between storytelling and tactical combat, and then that leads to the the other thing about why I think it works with PBTA and the challenge we sort of need to unpack with Dungeons and Dragons. PBTA and Dungeon World is slightly less yeah, tactical, competitive. It's it's really storytelling as its core. So I think people are slightly less tempted to just build up bonuses for the sake of it. So I'm concerned that with a lot of D&D table, people might try to come up with excuses to just stack the plus two. But, you know, I'm not sure it would be a bad thing because it would make people think about the relationship of their characters and right before a combat encounter, which might be something somewhat a bit dry, on the contrary, it would front-end it with storytelling and ideas about the relationships of people and things maybe which could feed the game master to run the encounter on his side with having dramatic moments you know he would have or she would have clues they would have clues to to create moments when someone is threatened while we know that the barbarian is going to react to that because the he mentioned that the halfling was very important and he was concerned about her before the encounter so it would front end the event with interesting information i think yeah i mean i mean again to be obviously straight up at the top i don't expect this to be a rule that we would implement like in D or dnd sixth edition for example this would be like a house rule for people who are interested in this <clears throat> this wouldn't be something that we were saying everyone has to do 
Oh, we never do that anyway. Right. If you're having right. fun, you're but, doing all right. <laughs> right. Because I really like what you talked about where you and your friends already did this as players. Through your knowledge of the system, system mastery, you learned how to work together that if I have this ability and you have that ability and you attack first and then I attack second, we can do X, Y, or Z. We, we can synergize our characters so that they are more effective in combat. That this was amazing and, and very satisfying when that happened. But to be honest, at the place I am right now as a player, I don't play regularly enough with the same people in the right condition to really reach that level of system mastery and knowledge of each other. So any sort of baked-in mechanical means to reach that could be interesting again from the storytelling point of view right no and i think so what this would do is this would make it a character focus not a player focus you did yeah. it because of players this would be a way that you could say okay my characters have been spending time with each other my characters know each other very well my characters know what each other can do so they get this bonus in the fiction of the world not through the the meta table you know above table situation uh so the first thing that came to my mind well, well actually the first first thing that came to my mind is is this something that's also a negative so if everybody's working together and they get a bonus what happens if everyone's not working together is the negative that they don't get the bonus or is there actually like a sub subtractive you know situation where oh you get negatives to this combat because none of you can get along you all hate each other right now or if there's one character who no one likes, you know, again, we'll do the quote unquote, that's not what my character would do person. They're being a jerk to everyone at the table. Everyone else gets along, but they don't like Steve or Sarah. So does Steve and Sarah get negatives in this combat as a punishment for not going along with the group? Part of me likes the symmetry of that. Like the whole point is if you're working together, you get bonuses. So if you're not working together, obviously you'd be negatives. But the Michael part of me who's like, well, this is a game we're all supposed to be having fun together. I don't like the idea of there being negatives. So then this just simply becomes a bonus. Like you said, it's a way to stack pluses. Well, we're all going to say we get along because I want my plus two. So is it is it truly helping role play? Well, that's the thing, that's the thing where the, there's a difference which lies between Dungeons & Dragons and Masks, for instance, is that part of the fun in Mask the front end of math is playing those arguments between characters, you know, getting mad at each other. So you, you revel into that, in that, you know, having, oh, you didn't pick me up to go to the dance with you uh, on the other night. So you get your fun in the argument, in the storytelling, not in the success of the encounter. And it's, it's very clear from the start. So, with the right group, it could definitely work in Dungeons & Dragons, provided that um, there are some safeguards in terms of, and it might shock some people, that the encounter could turn badly. I mean, it could be something like that. Maybe you get your bonus if you cooperate, but you run the encounter, let's say, normally, and you can, you can die. Maybe if you say, well, we are not working as a team very well because we've got this storytelling point and we're having an argument. Maybe, so the negative is you don't get the bonus. The, you raise the chances that you're going to fail this encounter 
but there's a system which says that the failure in this encounter will be limited to a you flee or you're not prone or you you're not you're not gonna die somehow you yeah you, you know you it's a question of stakes and so on you you risk more but you you know that if you went into that way uh, you you provided some kind of safeguard i i'm lacking the the vocabulary to explain myself i don't know if i make any sense i i think i get the first part i'm not sure if i follow with <laughs> the second part so so let me try to elaborate and then you tell me how far off i am I think the the key difference between masks, for example, in D&D here, is that it's fun in masks when you don't get along. And to lose to some extent. And to lose to some extent, because you're probably not going to die. You're just going to get defeated. In D&D, the stakes are normally, if you die, you're dead. Now, there are exceptions and that kind of thing. But just standard D&D out of the box, your, your characters are going to die. And it's standard out of the box. It's not that much fun. There are exceptions. There's not that much fun when the players aren't getting along because, you know, again, Steve and Sarah's character are jerks and they don't want to do what everyone else wants to do and it's a headache. And so I think that's the fundamental difference between these two styles of games is one, the conflict between characters is part of the game that is fun to explore. And in D&D, often the conflict between characters is a headache that has to be overcome. I still don't know that that negates adding in bonuses because that gives you a reason to not be a jerk at the table and go along with everybody because there's this inherent bonus when you get to the danger. Because that's the thing. In mass combat, it's not normally dangerous. It's, you know, you get knocked out. In D&D, it's deadly. So there's an incentive to try to get that bonus more in D&D where it could be the difference between your character dying or, or not. So is it really encouraging cooperation I think, I think, yeah. I think if we were to create some sort of combat bonus that works for people, groups that are working together, I think it could be more um, attractive to people who like D&D and don't want their character to die, more so than maybe a mass where it's kind of fun to see what happens when you lose a combat. Yeah, in general, I think it's, well, it's a side discussion, but we don't explore enough, often enough what could be the interesting consequences of losing a, an encounter in Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, I was thinking about uh, taking us uh, sideways a bit, but another fundamental difference, I think it helps coordinating. Again, in D&D, when I reach this level of cooperation, not only we had system mastery, but we sort of understood the rhythm of the game with the initiative round and we knew okay i'm acting before that one so that means he's gonna act or she's gonna act then i can do my thing which will enable them to do their thing and you got this whole thing going on in mask and other systems not just pbta i'm running star wars d6 the old west end games system right now initiative is run differently because in PBTA, it's a conversation, so you don't have, you got spotlights, you don't have a set order which repeats itself. And in Star Wars D6, you rerun, reroll your initiative at each round, but it's a, an initiative per team. It's not an initiative per individual, but that means that people can coordinate their action and say they're going to do things together. It's slightly different. I mean, it's, that's the thing. When you sent me the question first, it felt like, oh, do you encourage players to coordinate their action? And the way you presented it now, it's more, 
all doing in still roleplay, which says whether or not the the characters are interacting with with each other. So, if you want your your characters, your players to combine their action in a meaningful way, you could change the initiative and make it a team initiative. And the way it balances out in this way is that instead of not only the the PCs has got a coordinated action between all of them, it means the NPCs also has got a coordinated action. Because when you as a game master you say they're gonna do this thing rather than being segmented in three or four depending on the number of different creatures you have, you can go ahead and say they do that as a group with this part of the group doing this, this part of the group doing that. So it balances out the advantage you give to the players, you give it to the non-player characters as well. So I don't know if this was the road you were leading me down, but this is the road you led me to. Uh, my initial thought, again, we're talking in broad terms D&D, that if we were to give some sort of bonus to the combatants when they're in combat, I'm probably thinking inspiration would be an easy one because it's already in the rules. We're just modifying a little bit. Everybody gets one inspiration, bon- like a bonus inspiration. You can use this combat because everyone gets along. It's a beautiful mechanic inspiration. I think that that's a really the, the smartest idea in 5th edition. So yeah, definitely use it. Yeah, I, I agree. And you can even do it where, let's say there's five PCs. You have five team inspirations, but it's not one per player. It's five per team. So if one player needs two of them because they are doing the more dangerous thing or they're in the biggest fight, whatever, like that's, again, it's cooperation. Like, okay, as a group, we have five but Sarah needs all three right now because otherwise she's going to die. So we're all going to let Sarah use three of them, leaving only two for the group. That's sort of art imitating life there where the players and the characters are all cooperating to the best benefit. Makes sense. Maybe but what you the, said, well, hold on, yeah. what you said made me think maybe there's another way to do it where it's more along the, sort of like the system mastery line where if you're all cooperating, then you can do things within the combat like initiative. So let's say we roll initiative normally. But I want to let Sarah go in my place because that will be the best benefit. Because we all synergize, we're all on the same page, I can do that. Normally I can't, but because of this thing we're creating, okay, Sarah, you get to go now on nine, and I'm going to go on six because I need you to go first. Uh, or maybe they people get free help actions. Rather than having a roll, it's just like, okay, I spend my turn. I help you. I do not have to roll for that. So now you get the flanking, the bandage, the bonus, whatever. Uh, so the benefit is I'm still using the mechanics of the combat, but I get a little bit of leeway because we're all on the same page. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he I, I likes was, it. I was thinking that um, since we, we went to the inspiration way, that so I was thinking that the inspiration could be a good way also to balance out. Going back to what we were saying earlier, maybe it could be something like, if you tell me the synergy within the group and you cooperate because you're in a good mood or between player X and player Y, maybe you get an advantage on your, the role for the action you're trying to conduct. But if now you role play something, you add something to the story saying, no, we don't get along right now because I'm frustrated with what they said the last evening. Maybe you don't get an advantage to you, the action they're going to perform, but you got an advantage to, let's say, your death saving throw or something like that. So you always have a advantage pool lying there at the beginning of the combat. It's just the players 
depending on all the roleplay thing, all the, they put the starting point of it, they decide whether this advantage role will go for something which is, let's say, could be defensive, or mm -hmm. not just saving throw, or something offensive, depending on their roleplay. So whatever they do, you've got this going on, but they decide through the storytelling and their roleplay whether or not it goes for for the offensive or the defensive thing. I, I, I can see that. I'm not sure. I, I, as sad as it may seem, I feel like that may be a, almost a little too complicated because it's adding an additional uh, decision point. Not that that's bad, but the thing that popped in my head, and I think someone even mentioned this when I, I, I sent a tweet about this a couple of days ago when I first got the idea, and someone said, well, that's just what it, inspiration's for. That if you're in combat and someone you know, says a thing, role plays well, or makes a, a decision like I'm going to turn away from my opponent to, to help you open myself up to a, a, a strong attack. Well, that's, you know, that's worthy of inspiration because you're doing that. So, so how would this be different than just awarding inspiration very frequently inside of combat for role-playing team coordination well? And I don't know that right now that, again, we're not necessarily really trying to create a rule. We're just trying to talk through the options. In my experience, I find that inspiration is really underused. I've been a bit frustrated. Well, I haven't game mastered 5th edition, to be honest. I've played it a lot, but uh, I've not game mastered it. But I always thought that inspiration was lying there unused by most dungeon masters. So maybe it might be as simple as saying, well, look, Dungeon Masters should really encourage their players to coordinate their action and do this kind of description at the beginning of the game and reward them with inspiration because it's not happening often enough, or at least in my experience, with very different Dungeon Masters. It was often, yeah, uh, the rule sort of lying there on the side. Well, probably the, the biggest thing that I do for inspiration, and I know I'm not the only one that has done this, but I, I changed it where you can collect them. They're more like bennies from Savage mm. Worlds where you get you can gain and have multiple instances of inspiration rather than, I think the way the rules are written, you, you either have inspiration or you don't, and you can never have it more than once until you spend it, get rid of it, then you can get it again. So in my games, you can collect. I usually those little you know poker chip tokens we get for a catacomb. Everyone starts with one. So the beginning of every game, you get one to begin with because we have a little thing we do at the beginning where we go around the table and we talk to each other and I always say, oh, great job, and everybody gets a token. Um, so it, it makes a little bit more sense in that type of game where you could collect them and not just have it or not have it. So, I, But that's a very easy rule to change. But I think the, the biggest thing that I'm thinking, uh, have you ever played 13th Age? Yep, yep. We actually have an episode recorded of 13th Age, episode 31. Oh, I really like 13th Age. But So the Escalation die in 13th Age is sort of doing that in, in the abstract where the idea is that you're... Your PCs know how to fight. They know how to work together. So when they first start the, bite, the, start the fight, they're kind of neutral. But as the fight goes on, they're coordinating more. They're learning the environment. They're utilizing it. So you get the escalation die. So round two of combat, everyone gets a plus one. Round four of combat, everyone gets a plus three. And you, rec you, know, you represent this by D6. So you could do something similar in D&D um, in &D where if everyone's coordinated, if everyone's together... Then you have an, we'll call it the escalation die. You set it at one. 
Okay, everyone's on the same page. And every time someone role plays and, and does something that's that feels like they're still coordinating, you can just ratchet it up. And okay, so maybe it's only round three, but someone's getting a plus six because they are doing these things. And if, if people start to break apart and they don't help each other, you can ratchet it down. Or, or that Sarah and Steve, the jerks who aren't participating, well, they don't get it. They don't get to use it at all because their character isn't part of this team right now. They're separate. Everyone else does, but they don't. So they're not getting punished because they still have all their full abilities. They just don't get this additive bonus that everyone else does because of the coordination. So I think the easiest way to do this is just to steal Escalation die and tweak it a little bit. I really like that, uh, especially since you really have this feel of breaking formation. You know, when you are... Uh, in a battle, in a movie, you've got those nice and neat formation of fighters coming after each other. And sort of the turning point of a battle is when you manage to find a kink in the formation and it breaks apart and suddenly they are not coordinated anymore and so on. And I think it's a very interesting dynamic to try to, to work out in the thing. And it sort of balances itself on its own because if the situation is okay, what are you going to do with your character? This is a situation you can remain in. Imagine it could take many different shapes and situation doesn't have to be a, a actual formation, but you are in the formation, you've got your row of fighters or everybody's doing their row. The fighter is in the situation, okay, you're going to take this blow or you can decide to, your action is to jump and take cover if you jump and take over, you're doing something selfish and you're not working with your phalanx or the rest of the group, that means that the escalation die drops from one level or you are taken out of it. It's, it's gone because the coordination is gone itself. So I think yeah, I really like that system. And, you know, it starts little and becomes more and more important and it makes the, the encounter go faster. It's nice. So again, I don't expect us to actually like break down and write rules out here today. Uh, so for me, I, I would say that I'm interested in trying it because I know, again, because I've just heard this refrain so many times on Twitter and Facebook where how do I get my players to bond? So this would be a very in-game mechanical reason why they should because if they don't, it could hurt their chances at winning the combat. My first thought would be to create some sort of... Uh, team inspiration bonus that is a number of times so you get it once you get it twice you get it what whatever you know up to as many players as there are in the party and they are a team resource not an individual so you have this pile of four inspirations in the table during this combat you decide how they're used if you can't decide then they don't get to use them which again reinforces that you have to be on the same page because if people are arguing they don't want them you know i want you to use it someone else doesn't want you to then you don't get to or the escalation die from 13th age with a, a bit of a tweak that maybe it's not universal, but it's only when the characters are actually working in concert do they get access to it or not. But that might be too complicated to keep up with. But anyways, so any sort of final thoughts on the uh, edificacy, I think that's the word I want, of doing this and how you would implement it based off our conversation today? I really like the the escalation die idea. Um... I think it's great to, to make the game faster. It could be quite simple and, you know, it's very visual to have this die on the table. Um, I would not make it so that it's ac activated sometimes or and not. I would just say it's always active and 
maybe it's being lowered or, or raised depending on situation I just would take maybe a, a d4 or maybe a d6 so that it, it doesn't go beyond a plus six or a plus four which is I think reasonable in an encounter uh, and uh, yeah I, I could you know you could could be entering in terms of you would have this um, the game masters uh, and the players trying to uh, what's the word uh, do better than the other with the, the game master role playing you know even as a game master when you're concentrating on what's going on in the encounter if you don't have an incentive in the rules it's easy to get carried away and you forget to role play what is going on to give interesting little details about that goblin who breaks his sword or he's got a special way about him the way he looks or the, the big evil bad guy saying that line about ah, I'm gonna destroy this place but if you have this die which is raised when there's a nice RP moment involving the characters with one another and it's raised when that happened and on the other hand it's lowered when the game masters comes up with a nice one line to say something fast uh, it it can be a, a little game within the game without being too complicated so I think I really like that. Basically, it's like the escalation die, but it goes up or down based off of who's role playing the best. Um, obviously, you've got multiple players to one DM, so it's probably going to be weighted against the DM, but that's fine. But yeah, but if the DM just lays some just massive burn on someone or quips in a perfect way, nope, we're going to drop that by two. Uh, and if the players, you know, they're they're coordinating, they're working together, they're role playing, then it keeps going up. So it's like a very visual. Okay, you're role playing, so we're going to turn this dial up. Oh, you've stopped role playing now. We're going to turn it back down. I mean, that's I mean, that's super easy. It's visual. It's it's real time. The only problem I see with it, and that's D and D in a heartbeat, is that it's subjective. That player A may think they came up with a wicked burn, and the DM's like, I've heard that one before. So so it doesn't get to go up, uh, and you have the potential, or you have someone who's just you know that shyer person who's not great at role playing. They're playing the really charismatic bard, so they get to roll when they want to be charismatic, but they don't actually, you know, they, they're not great at role playing at the table. But I don't think that's a reason not to do it. It's just something that the DM would have to keep in mind that maybe when Steve says something that's like at a level three, we go up on the dial, but, you know, Jasmine, who's savage, she has to be up around an eight with her quips before we turn the, the dial up so i don't know but i actually think out of all of them, that that might have been my favorite there at the end so that's awesome i think if you keep it a d4 for instance uh, it also limits the thing a bit you know uh if it wasn't limited it could be endless everybody's coming up with quips at their yeah. turn uh, again and again and again and it reminds me a bit when we had the trial fantasy we didn't read the rules very properly or at least I didn't and we, we were tr just trying to come up with excuses to activate all our traits all the time and was making yeah. the game a bit too heavy but if it's just a d4 after 3 or 4 quips you reach the 4 and that's there and maybe it takes a round or 2 before the game master lowers it to a 3 and if it's a 3 people don't really bother they're, they're into the action then it's to a 2 and then people start thinking up they came up with a couple of quips to to raise it to a four again, but this way it sort of limits itself. And again, plus four to a dice roll, it's very nice, but it's not 
that dramatic. It doesn't eliminate the actual rules and like, you know, the, your bonuses and proficiencies and everything. It's, it's a nice thing, but it's not going to overtake the power of your core class abilities. You know, I was skeptical, but now I would really like to try it with just a D4. I think uh, that's the right balance for me. I think, yeah, I definitely think it's interesting. You know, as always, we'll throw it out to anyone listening. If you have some sort of bonus that you use for team coordination, let us know what you do and how it works. If there's another game besides the three we mentioned that does something that you think we could steal, let us know. Um, if you've done this and it's failed terribly, let us know because we'd love to, to hear that to help us make our own games better. So We don't steal. We pay tribute to. <laughs> exactly. An homage. Awesome. Well, thank you, Gilm, for joining me. I appreciate you playing with our little reindeer games there. Uh, so the next thing we're going to do, we're actually going to throw it back over to Justice. He is our DMs Guild correspondent. So every episode, um, Justice takes uh, some time, goes to DMs Guild, pulls out a new title or maybe a, an author specifically, talks a little bit about their work and maybe something you should check out. So take it away, Justice. Hey there, gamers. My name is Justice Armin. I'm a DMs Guild writer, Beetle and Grimm's Viking, and the host of this DMs Guild Spotlight segment on the RPG Academy. While there's not going to be a quiz at the end of this segment, there's certainly a recommended reading list. Each month, we're going to be highlighting some of my favorite products on the Dungeon Masters Guild. Adventures, subclasses, guides, potions, you name it. If you're not already familiar with the Dungeon Masters Guild, aka the DMs Guild, it's a third-party publishing site owned by Wizards of the Coast, that allows you to make money writing material for settings like the Forgotten Realms, Ravenloft, or Ragnica. You can find out more at www.dmsguild.com. Today's spotlight is Cursed Classes, written by Alex Klippinger, Brian Holmes, Ryan Langer, Jacob Kellogg, Ashley May, Isaac May, and Matthew Whitby. Cursed Classes details six complete 20-level classes surrounding six of D&D's most accursed paths, such as Golems, Lichdom, Lycanthropy, and Vampirism. Each of the six classes comes with three or more subclasses, such as the Calling of the Were-Raven for Lycanthropes. The established guidelines for these curses, if there's an existing equivalent in the Monster Manual or an Adventure, often left me wanting more, so I'm glad that this supplement exists. The supplement includes helpful information for multiclassing, player and DM advice regarding good aligned options for each of the six classes, a note about shifting alignments, and caution against applying dark imagery and grimdark suffering in campaigns of brighter tones. The fluff of the supplement is great. I mean, there's the elf lich Bilenorn, for Pete's sake. For the Revenant, each of the subclasses revolves around the manner in which the player character died, which is pretty cool. Mechanics in this supplement are interesting and often tied to the flavor of the class. I particularly like the Lunar Sensitivity for the Lycanthrope class, where the presence of the moon increases the saving throw for you to resist your werewolf or other lycanthrope form. I also like how the designers included all of the lycanthropic forms noted in the Monster Manual. Werebores, were-ravens, werewolves, were-rats, you name it. There's even a were-crocodile. Personally, I think players who want to pursue lichdom should reach epic levels to achieve such a fate, but the reality is that most campaigns simply don't get that far. The options included in this supplement are interesting and do well to honor the monsters from which they are inspired. Whether you're using all of the options in this supplement, taking the features you like, 
or using the new backgrounds offered in the rear, it's a good buy. Until next time, you can find me on Twitter at Justice underscore Armin. In the meantime, give Cursed Glasses a look on the DMs Guild. Thank you for that, sir. I look forward to hearing that every time. That's awesome. That was amazing. Uh, so the last thing we're going to do today, we have a Patreon question. We try to do this just about every episode. Uh, this question comes to us again from Targris. Targris asks, and uh, he asked through our Discord. So if you're not on the Discord yet, please consider joining. Uh, what is your ideal gaming schedule like? How many games is too many to play or run? So, Caleb, you have full control over life. When you work, how much money you make, how much time you spend with your, your kids, you can game however you want. What is the ideal version of gaming like in Caleb's life on a week-to-week basis? Wow. Oh, that's a trick question. It's funny. I wouldn't think it's that complicated. I think, on a way, it's almost on demand. I had that recently. <laughs> uh, no, because I got several clubs here in London, which I love. I got the Roleplay Heaven. And I know I got London RPG community and I've been unemployed for a while this year. And my issue with Roleplay Heaven is that they play quarterly. So you need to commit for a quarter, so a couple months, during which you're going to play every week. And it's too much of a commitment for me. And just the idea of the commitment is almost an issue for me. Uh, It blocks me. But then I realized that earlier this year, again, I was unemployed. I happened to play. So meanwhile, London RPG community, literally things happen one session at a time. It's They got a permanent world, Dungeons and Dragons, and you play a single session. And all the game master know you can show up to one session and never show up again. It's not a problem for anyone. So it's really on-demand single sessions. And I ended up playing every week for four weeks in a row and I really loved it and it was great and then uh, for reason it was not appropriate anymore and I took a break of a couple of weeks and then it was more one week per month and so on so ideally it would be on demand because even if I had complete control of everything I think my my taste and so on might change over time now if I had to pick an order uh, regardless I would say I guess it would be one weekly game and one monthly game on top of that. So I would have two games running and the session could swap either being one shot and one being a campaign. But this way you got sort of a consistent game going on and uh, another palette cleanser going on in between. So I've been thinking about this. Obviously, I did the question ahead of you. Sorry, I I read it before we started. So I've had a little bit more time to think about it. If I'm going to run a game, and, and, and this ideal situation includes that all my players are always at every session too, their schedules are also perfect, I would like to run a game every other week, probably on a Saturday or a Sunday, so we can play for like five hours. Because right now, normally I play on the, on the weeknights and we play for like three hours, or maybe four, but we never actually get four playing hours in because people get here and set up and talk and that kind of thing. So every other week on a weekend or whatever day works out where we can play for like five hours of actual game time. And then I would like to be a player in a game once a week on a weeknight for like three to four hours. So I would like to play on a weeknight and I like to run every other weekend. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think just amending my answer, I think the sessions for me would be a weekly three-hour session and a monthly five-hour session. And within that I could be either a game master or player 
that would be the bit which would be flexible and change in terms of depending of my mood and what I want to do. But I guess if I had total control of my life and the life of my players or friends, <laughs> yeah, that's what I would be doing. Well, I mean, again, so like, so I guess like if it was truly ideal, I would be extremely rich. I would buy an island that will not be sunk by global warming in the next 30 years. All of my friends would go there and we would live in this hippie commune where none of us had to work, but we all got food and we would just play anytime and every time we wanted to. Well, you cannot get anything delivered then. It's very <laughs> annoying. Uh, my, If I was rich, I would be living spot on in a city center, a nice one with everything at hand at a walkable distance, public transport if we need to go further. And we would be in this apartment blocks with nice apartments a communal room and maybe some even sport facilities a swimming pool and something like that a recording studio so you want like an abandoned high school campus or community college campus so you got swimming pool basketball racquetball but courts dense, compact you know yeah a, a small community college so very very cool awesome okay well thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate it um and uh I, don't know, I think we just wrote a new game. We should just, uh, you know, uh, add in combat bonuses from Synergy and market it, and it can be our own role-playing game. And then we'll in years to come, people will be talking, where is this <laughs> fantastic rules which change the face of role-playing games I came from? And some will know, the people who listen to this and others won't. <laughs> exactly. So any final words before we sign off? Uh, no, please come check my show uh, because I know there are way more listeners of the fantastic DRPG Academy than there are of the Rollist Podcast. Now we got a plethora of shows. We got the Rollist Podcast, which is your uh, show of tabletop RPG fans across the channel, the pond, and beyond. But we also have uh, the Rollist Presents, which is more panels recorded either on Twitch, on the RPG Academy channel, or live sometimes at events. We're still learning the ropes. So our first event, the RPG, the D&D for mental health, the sound was not quite great. Since then we recorded at Dragon Meads. It was slightly better. So we're improving on that. And we got film studies. So yeah, please come check us out and tell us uh, if you enjoy the show, please. And recommend movies for, uh, for us to do because surprisingly, that's one of the more difficult aspects is trying to figure out what movie we want to do. Well, what I find difficult is as the curator of that show is to motivate people to volunteer. I've got the long list of movies. I, even, <laughs> I mean, if I was rich, I wouldn't be playing a weekly game first and a monthly game. I would be editing more film studies. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so again, Caleb, thank you for joining me. As for me, uh, this will probably come out after Christmas. So really, the, probably the only big thing is uh, Catacon. I know I hate to say it, it's so so early, but the Kickstarter for Catacon is coming in March. It won't be that far away. And uh, I've been asking questions on the Academy uh, Catacon Facebook and Twitter for suggestions and advice, maybe some tweaks and changes uh, so if you have any opinions that you would like to share, please just go ahead and send them in. You can email me at therpgacademy at gmail.com. Or if you're on the Facebook or Twitter, jump in, answer some questions, answer those polls, help us uh, make things even better for next year. Because this past year was by far our most successful, most attendees. We actually made a profit again, which is fantastic. Um, if we could just do this same thing every year and make small little improvements, I would be thrilled. So I'm not looking to reinvent the entire process, but if there's something that we can do, like a little tweak here, a little change there, 
I, I think a, a little change which is needed. I've heard people mentioning that it would be it's it's a bit lacking in terms of podcasters <laughs> would be from Europe oh, or maybe okay. London. So if maybe we should crowdfund some of them to visit. I don't know if you know one. <laughs> maybe just one. I'll tell you what, you you figure out what it would cost to get you here, and we will look at stretch goals. Yeah, well, maybe not this year, but one year, <laughs> one year. It's complicated. I mean, I got, got a, a two years old, and uh, yeah, but one day, I promise, one day that will happen. Yeah, well, actually, and again, just a quick aside. So my wife keeps asking me now, when am I going to start taking the boys with me? Because right now, well, I, I never bring them. Uh, and I part of me wants to, but part of me just because again I don't you don't go unfortunately. But I spend ninety percent of my time at the desk. I don't play that much. I don't run that much. So I'm afraid that I wouldn't be showing them a good time. I would be terrified to let them go off on their own. So they would probably have a miserable time just sitting at the desk doing nothing, except probably playing YouTube or video games the whole time. So I don't know what the age is when they get old enough that I can let them have a good time. Like, maybe I'll take them to Origins first. They don't have an, an aunt or an uncle who could, you know, take them around? Not really, no, unfortunately. Uh, my wife is not a big gamer whatsoever, so she would not have any interest in doing that. Um, so I don't know. I, it, it's it's a thing that's in the back of my head, like, when do I bring them? What age? What do I have them do while they're there? Uh, but I don't think it's 2020 yet. We'll, we'll see. But anyways, with that, we're going to take off. we got things to do. But just remember, folks, as long as you're having fun. You're doing it right. That is correct. So thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.